All right. Good morning, everybody. Uh, we're back at it. Grab your Bible, turn to Judges chapter 13, and we are jumping in. I don't know what kind of week you guys have had, but here where we are in the East Valley of Arizona, the weather has been spectacular. Um, our weatherman today cracked me up. He made a joke about how the rest of the country is in misery. I don't know where you are. I hope you're not freezing. But if you are, all the more reason for you to come to the East Valley. So y'all all come out here and hang out with us. Um, if you are in the East Valley, we would love for you to come hang out with us. We are uh, we are a church. We are. Not, this is not church. This is me taking apart the word. Uh, we'll gather tonight as a church and talk it out, pray through some of it, pray for each other, pray for things that are going on in our community and um, talk about ways we can serve community and each other, but mostly talk about the word. So I'd love for you to come be part of that. If uh, if you're anywhere near the Tempe area, you're close. So uh, you can find us online on our website, through our social media, um, any different way, hit us up. We'll tell you where we are. And you are more than welcome. We would love to meet you and spend some time with us. So, uh, we've been working through this series. We're going to keep on going with it. Of is God among us? Not one of us, but among us. And, um, just kind of analyzing like the times when God is present here with us in a very literal way. And we're doing it by looking at the word, not the news. So the theme verse we've kind of been ro- uh, rolling with is Revelation 21 3. It says, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they'll be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. So today, I know, brace yourself, we're going to tackle a big, huge word. We're going to look at, is God among us to predestine us? Is God among us to predestine us? There, I said it two times, so we've already got the word out there. Um, And I admit, it's a pretty challenging word. People really struggle with it. Some people, the word sickens. And some people, the word strengthens. It, it really does. And, and the, but the cool thing is the most basic meaning of the word robs us of any like ability to boast at all. And I, of course, I'm talking about that word predestined. So, but since it's in the Bible, predestined, it's in the Bible. Since it's in the Bible, let's consider it now. Not in light of theological framework or church battles or, you know, nice, collection of points and acronyms y'all know where i'm going with that, but not all that i just want to look at the text itself i just want to lay right into god's word itself and consider that god has made a purpose of speaking and working with specific people at specific times and identifying them in some cases before their birth and what does that mean that's all what does what does that mean what if god actually has a plan what if he's not simply, you know, finding a solution to each problem that we systematically pop up in front of him? What if there is actually a plan, a strategy? And listen, what if you're part of it? What, what if you are not only part of it, but he's built part of his plan around you? Think about that for a second. What if God actually has a plan and you are key to it? Let me ask you this. Can you refuse it then? Can you say no? Um, 
you know, what, what if you don't approve of the plan? I mean, can you do that? Can you, can you do those things? There's so much here. Listen, I, there's so much here and it's divided church for centuries and there's no time to hash it all out right now. And, uh, honestly, I'm not the guy. I'm not the one guy in all of history that has the winning argument anyway. And even if I did, I wouldn't present it because the last thing I want to do is divide more with the church. So that's not what I'm doing. But my question is this today. Is God among us with a plan beforehand? That's wrong. Is God among us with a plan beforehand personally created for us? Does he do that? Is that in his character? Is that something that he would do? And we don't have to fight. Listen, we don't have to fight about theological stances. I'm, I'm not interested in fighting about theologi- theological uh, opinions or stances. I'm just asking, does he do that? That's all I'm asking. We don't even have to fight about how. I'm just asking, does he do that? So today, let me read this passage really quick. Uh, we're going to look at chapter 13 of Judges. I am not going to read all of it, but we are going to actually cover all of it. Don't freak. We'll get through it quick. Uh, But let me read a few verses here just to put us in context. In chapter 13 of Judges, verse 2, it says, There was a certain man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. Therefore, be careful and drink no wine or strong drink. And eat nothing unclean, for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then, drink no water or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his birth. Let me pray. Lord, I love you. I thank you for your word. It's amazing. Thank you for the opportunity to get into it, to uh, grow from it, to to learn more about you from it. Uh, Lord, to be able to share it with others. And I say that staring a camera over here. Um but I'm talking about all of us, the ability as believers to be entrusted with your word and share it. Let us never, and I'll speak for myself, let me never, Lord, take it from you. It's your word. I don't want to add to it. I don't want to put words in your mouth, and I don't want to presume um, to uh, correct you or anything else like that, Lord. I, you need to correct me. And so I love your word, and I lift it up to you. pray you speak it today in Christ's name. Amen. So when God broke me of... 12 years of drug abuse, uh, and I don't have time for that whole story, but, but when he did, I came to this realization that, um, he had created me and given me a life with a plan. Alright, he created me with a plan for my life. That plan was for his glory, not my glory. And up until this point, I had most definitely used it majority for my glory. But he created a plan for my life, not for my glory, for his glory. Not to build my kingdom, which is what I was doing, but to build his kingdom. But I became aware of something uh, as God was pulling me free. I became aware of something that I wasn't going to get out of it. 
Like I wasn't going to get out of it. I almost felt like I could have put a gun in my mouth and pulled the trigger and it wouldn't have gone off. Not that I felt invincible, but I felt like there was no escape. Like it's going to happen. I became aware that I'm not getting out of it. And I could do it, though, my own way. I could do it in a wheelchair. I could do it in prison. <laughs> or I can do it on my own two feet and he can use me around the world, which is obviously the, the choice I made. You know, absolutely, that's the one I want. And maybe that's the choice you need to make also. Maybe he's calling you to something. Maybe there's this plan he's created you for and you're not getting out of it. And the option, though, is on you how you want to do it. So today, ask yourself, is God among us and has he designed a plan for my life? I want you to ask yourself that. And if you determine, as you should, that he has, then what's your response? What does your response need to be to that question? So I don't have an outline this week. We're just going to walk straight through this narrative. It's really easier that way. I'm not going to give you a long background except to say that if you don't know who Samson is, read ahead. Uh, we're going to look at his parents uh, here predominantly and their encounter with God and, and his conception in a sense. But the chapters ahead, Samson uh, is the story of Samson's life. Uh, long hair, cut it, super strong. You can go read all the, the story. I'm not going to go into it all now. But like Gideon, he was a judge that God raised up in a time when Israel would rebel. God would raise up a judge. They would repent or cry out to God for help. God would raise up a judge or a king, a ruler, they didn't have kings really, to set them free and govern them for a time. And over time, they would drop right back into sin and they'd go right back into being oppressed or something by another nation. And then the cycle would repeat. God would, they would cry out. God would raise somebody up. So here we are. Uh, this particular judge is Samson, but we're before his birth and we're at the encounter that leads to it. So in verse 1, Judges 13, it says, And the people of Israel did again what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Um, first verse, actually, there's a pretty cool picture right here of God's sovereignty, his control, and man's responsibility. God sovereignly delivered them over. So he didn't have to, but he delivered them over to the Philistines. But man's responsibility here is they did evil. Black and white, right there in the very beginning. Verse 2, and there was a certain man, certain there, the word is literally one. So in a literal translation is there was one man of Zorah. And the point is this this guy is a, a chosen individual. This is of all the men, this is the certain man, uniquely chosen, of Zorah, the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. So why him? Why why him? Why pick this guy? Alright, he's the one. Alright, why? What's his background? Don't know. Was he especially I mean we know what tribe he's from, but we don't know was he especially holy was he a standout guy? Did he meet all of God's checklists for this? What we do know is that his wife is barren. And in that culture then, and to some extent even today in some Middle Eastern cultures, a barren woman was a curse from God. So at the very least, there's nothing here notable to qualify him. Manoah's name, though, is mentioned 18 times, and we don't get his wife's name at all. She doesn't even get mentioned by name. What we do know is she was barren. But before you throw the whole 2020 world onto the text here, 
um, and start going off about misogyny and all that bunch of stuff or say, well, that was the culture. They only talked about men, not women. There's truth in that. But that's not the thing here. Remember that no name matters here except one. If he didn't put Manoah's name in there, it doesn't matter, except that we can prove that we could say we know Manoah, he lived. But other than that, it's not about the man gets the name and the woman doesn't. If you're saying that, you've already missed who the story is about. It's not about the woman. It's not about Manoah. It's about the one, and that would be God or Christ because it's his story, Jesus' story from start to finish. But here, she's the one that God's directly focused on. Look at verse 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. So he identifies her right out of the gun as barren. And, and, and that's kind of a cool thread through Scripture. Uh, God uses several women who are barren. Uh, you, you can go back and look at them. I, I won't go back through all of them, but just thinking you've got Sarah that was with Abraham. You have Hannah. If you don't know her story, you go read it. It's really good along those lines. Elizabeth uh, uh, in the New Testament. There's multiple people, but I, I'm not going through them all. God loves to use those people. But I love how the angel here, who is actually God, you, you'll see that by the end of the story, but that's why we're looking at this. We've seen this angel of the Lord before. But he points out her condition to her. You are barren. Like, she don't know that. You know what I mean? But he points it out. He says, you are barren. But then he commands, you shall. He commands that the opposite is going to change it. There are the impossible, not the opposite. The impossible, excuse me, is going to change it. That It's not possible to say, well, you know, you're barren and you're just going to have kids unless you can do something about that. So he's making this statement that you are barren, but you will have a child. And God does that with us. He points out our present circumstances sometimes. He really draws our attention to our present circumstances. And unfortunately, a lot of times when they're really hard or when they're really difficult, and a lot of times maybe you've got scars, maybe you've got struggles, maybe you've got things that you fight with. We say demons, you know, that you wrestle with. And sometimes God puts them right in front of your face, but it's not to mock you. Is to deliver you in such a way that you are aware that he alone was able to overcome that. So he alone gets the glory. So look at verse 4. He goes on. He says, Therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. And he shall begin to serve Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Um, he gives two personal requirements of her right here, no alcohol or unclean food, and one requirement for the kid, no shave in the head, no razor on the head. So um, these are all conditions of, we'd say you're a Nazarite from birth. That, that's not a, a nationality, that's a vow. You can go look in uh, Numbers chapter 6 and the first 20 verses talk about the Nazarite vow. It was something God offered them as, an, as a way to um, separate themselves for a period of time. Basically, Nazarite means to separate or uh, set oneself apart. And so the idea of taking a Nazarite vow was a way to separate yourself from everybody else in certain ways as an act of worship and in order to make yourself available to God personally for what he might want to do with your life. You alone 
to him. So what God is saying is that vow that was given through Moses uh, back in number six, this is going to apply to this child even before he's born. Okay? Look how many times there in in these five verses, I just just these first five verses, you shall appears. You shall, you shall, you shall, you shall. Any chance that's not going to happen? If that's an angel speaking for God, is that any chance it's not going to happen? If it is God, and it is, who's actually standing there speaking, is there any chance it won't happen? Now, you've got to think about this a minute. You shall do these things. You know, isn't it funny how we consider God's sovereignty in circumstantial ways? All right, what I mean by that is we usually wrestle with the sovereignty of God based on circumstances. For instance, if you have cancer and you want to be free of cancer and you're crying to God, set me free from cancer, and you get a solid word from God, you shall be free of cancer. All right, you celebrate that, you rejoice, and you have complete hope. In the sovereignty of God to keep his word and set you free from cancer because you can't do anything about it. You know what I'm saying? So you're celebrating the sovereignty of God that he can do something about it. But if you have a plan for your life and that plan is rolling and God steps in and he says, you shall repent. Believe in me and follow me. Then we say, whoa, man, I'm not a robot. I'm not a robot. You can't make me do anything. I make my own choices. And maybe, yes, I'm going to choose to follow you. Maybe I will. Maybe I'll choose to go ahead and follow you, God. But that's my sovereign choice, not yours. Circumstance totally changes. But then again, when we want God to save our children, then we say things like salvation comes from God alone. It's all God's work. And then we go to God and we pray, God, please save our children. Please uh, save our children. And oftentimes we beg God to save our children from the circumstance they're in, which means he has to interrupt their choices sovereignly. See what I'm saying? It's, it's funny how we do that. Notice this phrase, and here's where I'm, we're going to punch in the throat just a little bit. Um, <laughs> me too. This is tough. But notice the phrase in there, from the womb. Listen to me. If you don't hear anything else I say, listen to this because I want you to think about it. Listen to this. Name one decision, one decision that you made in the womb that's still governing your life today. I know I'm being funny, but I'm not either. Give me one decision that you made in the womb that's still governing your life today. He said that this is going to be this kid's destiny from the womb. I guarantee you Samson did not have a say in that. Just saying. But before she's able to even give birth, she has to be made able to conceive because she's barren. But then even after he makes her able to conceive, she's still got to depend on God because just being able doesn't guarantee it's going to happen. And even then... His purpose is predecided. It's right there in the text. It's predecided. I love this quote. There's a great book on the life of Leonard Ravenhill. I don't have time to uh, reference who he is. He's a great uh, evangelist. You can read uh, or look up. There's just there's tons of stuff on him. But a great pastor and evangelist uh, in the uh, first half of the 1900s. 
But it says this, it's a quote taken from the book. It says, on June 18, 1907, a midwife delivered Leonard Ravenhill at home, bathed and dressed him, then quietly left the room, leaving mother and child together. Leonard's mother told him 20 years later that after the midwife left the room, she laid her hands on him and prayed, Lord, make this boy a preacher or don't let him live. That's a heck of a statement from a mother. But that's the kind of heart that's being poured out of God to these two parents for Samson. Listen, it's all through the Bible, okay? It's all through the Bible. I'm going to give you a handful of verses. We're not going to unpack them. Don't have the time. I don't need to unpack them. You just need to wrestle with what they say. Okay, so Ephesians 1, verse 4. He, God, chose us in him before, before the foundation of the world. Just saying that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he, in love, everybody jumps over that to the next words. In love, because of love, because he loved us, because he is in love with us, he predestined us to be adopted. To himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. His will. Alright? The, the words are there, guys. The words are there. I mean, they're there. They have meaning. They stand. I mean, they stand for something. You can't just stand there and quote God's word and say God's word has absolute authority, but then ignore it in other places. So, if it doesn't mean what it says, then what must it mean? If it doesn't mean what it says, what must it mean? It has to mean something. So more verses. Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Verse 4, skipping, I'm skipping through some of this because I just want you to see the, the big picture. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us, made us, made us alive in Christ Jesus. By grace you have been saved. And he goes on in verse 10 and he says, For we are his workmanship. He crafted us. He created. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. Listen, which God prepared beforehand. The good works that he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Which tells you very black and white. He has a plan he created you for. Perfectly illustrated in Samson's life, but I'm not done. There's many. We'll look at a couple more. Romans 8, verse 28. You know this. Everybody loves to quote this. Excuse me. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good, uh, for those who are called according to his purpose. Look at what that says. For good, for those who are called, called according to his purpose. But don't stop there. Everybody likes to stop there. It keeps going. For those whom he foreknew or foreloved, same language, he also predestined, there it is again, to be conformed to the image of his son. Verse 30, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Notice the he's in there. He did, he did, he did, he did. It's there, Psalm 139, verse 13. Old New Testament, we can hop all over the place. For you formed my inward parts, David said to God. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. Listen to this. Listen to this. 
In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. Process it. You know what I'm saying? Process it. One more, Jeremiah 1. We'll look at Jeremiah again, but verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God decided his destiny before he was alive. So look, some some say, well, okay, God looked ahead and, and saw what Samson, because remember, we're, I know I read other people. We're staying with Samson, though. But some say God looked ahead, saw what Samson would do, uh, and then made it so from his birth, something like that. Um, but I, here's my problems with that. It's got a high view of man and a low view of God. God's just reacting to what man's already decided in that case. My, God's just, he doesn't have any control. He's just reacting to man. Man, therefore, is sovereign in this situation. And if Samson's going to do all these things anyway, why should God bother to go announce it or to go command it be so? No reason for God to do anything if Samson's going to do it anyway, right? God's acts in this scenario are only a Affirming or condemning man's own decisions. He's not actually leading them anywhere. He's just affirming or condemning. Yeah, that sounds like a good idea to me. I'll get behind that. Or that's a bad idea. I'm not sure I can get behind that. But some see this as God ordaining something for Samson's life before his birth. A purpose predestined by God, predetermined by God. You like that word better? Look at that word. Predetermined by God. God determined a purpose for Samson's life before Samson stepped into it. In, you look at it that way, you have a high view of God. God is sovereign. He's in control. He, in this case, he decides before conception. And that's proven because the woman is barren. So he has to be the one that decides, right? It also has a low view of man because apart from God intervening, this couple is hopeless to conceive because she's barren. Um, it, God announces the plan because it's determined by him to happen at the right time with the right people for his glory. All right. Regardless of how you work to align God's sovereignty and man's responsibility, though, in your own mind, they both exist. They're both in the Bible. They're both in the text. And they're both present in this moment here in Judges 13. Okay? Let's go back into the story. Verse 6. We'll pick up some speed now. Verse 6. Then the woman came and told her husband, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. She's not really sure here. A man of God could be a prophet. She said it could be an angel. That's awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he didn't tell me his name, but he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. She added that, but that's communicated in the idea that was stated. from The, the, man, the man's life from birth to death would be as under a Nazarite vow set apart to God. So how would you respond to this? As a man, you know, as a husband, your wife, your wife comes to you, you know, we don't know where this occurred, but wherever it happened, she comes and she finds you and say, hey, uh, so I met a guy, had the appearance of an angel. He was awesome. 
awesome. And, uh, you know, he told me I was going to be pregnant. <laughs> you know, I think I would have a, I was like, what? You know, <laughs> but Manoah, he seems to handle it pretty good. He, he turns his attention to God. Look at verse eight. He says, then Manoah prayed to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, please let the man of God. So here I think he's thinking he's a prophet. Let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. Man, if you're a parent, that's a phenomenal prayer. Just change man of God to Jesus. Jesus, teach us. Uh, come again, teach us what we are to do with the child that's to be born. That's that's money. Verse 9, he goes on, and God listened to the voice of Manoah. That's a straight, awesome sentence too. It didn't just say God answered his prayer. God listened. God, it, the idea God stopped, leaned in, and said, yeah, okay, I hear you, Manoah. And the angel of God came again to the woman as she sat in the field. Instead of to him, though, she comes, or the angel comes back to her. But Manoah, uh, her husband was not with her. Verse 10, so the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came to me the other day has appeared. Appeared, I can see him, he's there, it's not a ghost, it's a person. Uh, and Manoah arose and went after his wife and came to the man and said to him, Are you the man who spoke to this woman? And he said, what? I am. I'm not going to dig too deep in there, but that's what the name Jehovah, Yahweh, that's what it means. I am. In a simple way there, he is perhaps identifying himself as God. I am. But of course they don't catch that. And Manoah said, now when your words come true, what is to be the child's manner of life and what is his mission? Because um, they're catching on that, wow, this prophet has said that, the, that we're going to have a kid and this kid is going to be a judge, you know. Uh, but if he's chosen by God, what do we do as parents? I mean, how do we, what do we, what do we do? I mean, this is a big deal. This is huge. Like, how, how do we respond? Perhaps they're even kind of freaking out. Like, I got a million questions, man. Where, where do I start? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. In other words, do what I told the woman to do. I already told you what to do. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat anything unclean. All that I've commanded her, let her observe. I've already gone over this with you. She just needs to do that. He turns the question away from the child and back to the responsibilities that he'd already given to the parents. Hey, look, let's just focus on the day, guys. All right? Verse 15, Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, please let us detain you and prepare a young goat for you. So this is decades after Gideon, but if you were watching the video last week, this should sound a little familiar. Maybe these guys actually knew of Gideon's test that Gideon did when the angel of the Lord came to him. Um, I mean, I'm sure that the tradition of the story was handed down. Verse Chapter 6, verse 18 with Gideon, you know, there's that talk about, please don't depart, I'm going to cook you something. Uh, here in chapter 13, verse 15, please do not go, let me detain you, we're going to cook you something. Same kind of scenario, almost. Verse 16 says, And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, If you detain me, I will not eat of your food, but if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. So it's almost like he's saying, Look, I've already been around this with Gideon. I know the story, so let's just cut to the chase. It's going to be an offering. Make an offering to the Lord and bring it here. Verse 16. For Manoah, key phrase here, did not know that he was the, if you were to have uh, italics in your Bible, that would be an appropriate place for it. He was the angel of the Lord. 
um, the angel, the appearance of God among men as a man, in a sense. That's the angel of the Lord. Some would say Jesus in the Old Testament. However you look at it, the Son, the presence of God on earth. That's who this is. Verse 17, And Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name? So that when your words come true, we may honor you. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why do you ask my name, seeing it's wonderful? So Manoah <laughs> wants to honor this prophet when his words come true. Man, this prophet told the truth, you know. Uh, but if this were a true prophet or an angel, there's no chance that he's going to accept uh, any kind of honor that belonged to God. Not going to happen. But notice he doesn't reject Manoah's offer of worship. He doesn't do that. In fact, he makes a very bold claim about his name. That's his identity. He's, he's saying it's wonderful. My identity is wonderful. It's filled with awe. That's coming out of an angel's mouth, right? Or a prophet's mouth from what they think initially. But it's not. It's God. Only God would say that. Uh, many verses. I'm not going to list them all out. Isaiah 9-6 comes to mind. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, uh, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, Jesus would ask his disciples, who do people say that I am? They said, well, some say you're a prophet. He says, who do you say I am? They said, the son of the living God, you know. In Revelation, it tells us there's a, uh, when he returns, there's a name written on him that no one knows but himself. Uh, we know from Acts, Luke wrote that there's no other name under heaven by which men may be saved than Jesus. Paul would quote Isaiah saying, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That name is wonderful, to say the least. To say the least. And look how the next verse even points to it further. Verse 19, so Manoah took the young goat with the grain offering and offered it to the rock, excuse me, offered it on the rock to the Lord, to the one who works wonders. It actually turns my mind back to Gideon when Gideon, when he first speaks to Gideon and Gideon says, where are the wonders we heard about from our forefathers? Where is God and his wonders? And Manoah and his wife were watching. Watching, it means what's he going to do? What's he going to do? Like she's barren and the one who works wonders would have to do a wonder here to say the least, you know, Uh, and whatever's going to happen. They wouldn't know if she was able to conceive until later, not to be crude, but you understand. I mean, the ability to conceive is going to require some action first. So they're watching here for some kind of evidence that that what this person is saying is true. Verse 20. And when the flame went up towards heaven from the altar, the angel of the Lord went up in the flame of the altar. Now Manoah and his wife were watching and they fell on their faces to the ground. ground. Basically... The angel says, "Offer, make your offering to Jehovah. And when he ascends in it, he is claiming it as acceptable is what he's, what he's doing. He's accepting the offering. Basically, he's saying he is Jehovah. It's, it's him. Verse 21, the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. And then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And just in case there's any question about what that means, verse 22, Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die for what? We have seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, I always like to stick fool in there. I probably shouldn't, but that's the way I think, that's the way I hear her voice. Fool, if the Lord meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands. 
or shown us all these things or now announced to us such things as these. In other words, he just told us he's got a plan here. What makes you think he's now going to turn around and kill us? Which once again means sovereignty. She gets it. He's struggling. She gets that she can trust in the fact that he spoke something that was the word, a word that he is sovereign enough to accomplish. Therefore, she doesn't have to be afraid. Even in a circumstance where, yeah, they should have died. They did see God. But grace, but grace, but grace. You know what I'm saying? Look at verse 24. And the woman bore a son, called his name Samson, and the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtaol. So I love the way this story ends here. This little bit is so cool. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. What a, a powerful statement that is. I love it. God acts first. It's God who blesses. It's the Spirit who stirs. In fact, Samson's only reaction there is that he grew. You know, but even that is only a response to the breath of life that God put in him to begin with. You know what I'm saying? So listen, I, I'm going to wrap this up. But listen, if we're honest, our biggest contribution to our own salvation is reactive. If we're honest, our biggest contribution to our salvation is reactive. God's grace alone calls us, purposes us, and then saves us for that purpose. But even as believers, it doesn't stop there. God's Spirit begins to stir us at times. You know what I'm saying? And how we respond to that stirring will not, not affect God's plan, but it will affect our part in it. And it will affect our quality of life, spiritually and maybe even physically. You know, it. it Samson's life... And his choices led to his death, you know. And, and let me bring that up. Before we wrap it up, one more thing here. And I'm not trying to focus on Samson's life. The focus has been on chapter 13 and God's sovereignty and all. But what if, what if the child, Samson here, what if he didn't follow God's direction? What if he said, nope, not doing it? He didn't. He didn't. If you read the story, you'll see, you know. But the point is, he did, that did not change the plan. It just hurt Samson. It just hurt Samson along as he went along executing God's plan. And ultimately, it led to Samson's death. i give you some examples of what all happened here. Of all of the judges, only with Samson is it mentioned that the Lord departed from him. Only with Samson. Of all of the other judges... Uh, they would set the people free and then they would rule over the people for a, a number of years. In Samson's case, his entire number of years was trying to set the people free or in that stage. And then he died in this powerful, victorious moment, but he didn't set anybody free in doing it. Um, so is that proof that God's plan changed? No. Look back at what God said. God said Samson would begin to set the people of Israel free. Only Samson engaged in a relationship with the enemy on more than one occasion, while also being the hand of God to judge the enemy. His life, Samson's life, was characterized by God's victories, yes, but also by his carnal pleasure and his complete celebration of his own name. So though Samson did begin the process of saving Israel, wars and all kinds of things were still ahead, and it wouldn't come to an end until David's day. David would be the one where it finally finished. 
So basically, instead of Samson's, here's what I'm saying. Instead of Samson's obedience, listen to me carefully, God uses Samson's failure, Samson's disobedience. You could say Samson's sin. I mean, God uses that to accomplish his will. He uses it to accomplish his will. Thus, Samson's actions work for the glory of the kingdom of God. Yes, they do. But they also hurt Samson each time because of the way he's choosing to do it and ultimately lead to his death. So, what does this mean for us? Well, God is sovereign. Obviously, he has a plan. Obviously, it will be accomplished. But it matters to you in what way. It matters to you to what extent. For me, I want to be saying, yes, God, yes. Show me. I want to know. I want to go. If you don't know, maybe you aren't sure where to start with all this. Maybe you don't even know if he's, what his plan for your life is. Hey, easy. Get in the Word. Get in the Word. Get involved in a good church. Hey, shout at us. We'll be one. Get involved in a good church. Get baptized if you haven't been. Get in discipleship. You think I'm just making this up? It's in the Word. These are the first steps that are laid out in the Bible for you to do. Just start there. And then... Put your yes on God's table and expect him. You know what I'm saying? That, that That's the way you, it works. Maybe you never turned your life over to him. Maybe this is all a bit overwhelming to you. Maybe it's a bit heavy. But maybe for somebody today, maybe for somebody today, it's giving you huge hope. Because you're realizing that God loves you just because he chooses to love you. Not because of any of your failures, not in spite of all of the terrible things, but because he loves you. Not because you've done anything good enough, not because you have impressed him or been better, good than bad. None of that. Just He just loves you. And listen, that means he has a purpose for your life. Can you trust him with that? Can you do that? Can you today say, you know what, I'm done, man. Lord, you can have me. Show me what that plan is. Show me what that plan is. I want to do it. I don't want to do it in a wheelchair. I don't want to do it in prison. I want to do it free. I want to do it proudly. I want to honor you with my life. Give your life to him today. Say that to him. Repent and believe. Let him have your life. Lord, I I give it to you. And then let us know. Let me pray for you. Lord, I love you. Thank you for your word. It is so awesome. I pray, God, that you are honored by the decisions that are made today um, based on what your word has to say. Help us be faithful to uh, obey the things we understand, to learn to know better the things we don't understand, and to trust you, Lord, that, that you are true and your word is true. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.